Welcome to the Made in Excellence podcast. I'm Jacoby Madewell. We believe we are made in God's image and that he has called us to do great things. We are here to share how we have and are building our personal leadership and life's legacies through wealth. We are all about having a positive mindset, an attitude of gratitude, and believe that we are the sum of the five people we surround ourselves with. Come join us and help us grow and become better together. Let's dive in. Okay, awesome. Man, Ray, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. So um, for those of you that can't see us, it's myself, Jacoby Madewell, here with Phil Gazka and Mitch Stutler, uh, producer Mitch today. And we've got Ray Young here with us. So Ray is a friend of mine. Uh, he's a business coach. He's a businessman and a lot of business stuff. He's uh, still a preacher. Yeah. If, I ever, if I ever was one. All right. Messenger yeah. of the word. There you go. How about that? Um, and just an influencer, an influencer of people is how mm-hmm. I'd best put it, you know, which that's leadership. So, um, Ray, tell me about you. Tell me about how would you, if somebody says, who are you, what are you going to say? I'm primarily a, a leadership development coach, a speaker, an author. I do uh, business development and training. I primarily focus on people who are part of the kingdom of God and want to uh, see their work, uh, business owners and leaders who see their work, a kingdom responsibility and opportunity there to do business differently, yeah. to live their lives and lead their people in a different way. Love it. Yeah. And you are not, when I say preacher, I, I kind of say that because you did that for 23 years. Yeah. 31. 31. Sorry. Give or take. It's Give about or take. The same. You're just so youthful. I assumed it couldn't have been that long, but uh, you did, uh, you preached for 31 years, mm-hmm. but you didn't do that full time. Like you still did a bunch of other things. Right. It's, it's uh, everybody in my family tree, both sides of it. Everybody's entrepreneurial. Everybody's had their own business. And so uh, this is what's proof. I'm not really, a, never was a preacher. I'm a, been a used car dealer. So that's the immediate out. <laughs> Cell phone stores, car wash, uh, construction company, primarily doing concrete work. Uh, been in a lot of different things. How'd you get into, how'd you go from this to this to this to this? I mean, you're like a standard, typical entrepreneur, and now you're coaching and teaching them. How did you go from that and also still te- also still preach? And how did all that, how'd that journey happen? I think primarily for me, it's, uh, I've told people I just love doing too many things and doors opened up and, um, I've got an approach to life. I think that that God places opportunities and responsibilities in our hands. And so I talk often about having an open hand and if God puts something there to take it. And as long as it's in my hand, I'm responsible for it to use it the way he wants me to. So if that's business, if it's a relationship, uh, then then to use that. And if he wants to take it out, it was his the whole time. And so um, I try most of the time to be okay with that. Sometimes I uh, will close my hand and say, no, this one's mine. I've got it for a while. Yeah. But so it, it happened that way. And really just um, the opportunity from the very beginning, people started asking me to speak to different groups and um, that just continued to grow uh, with uh, business experience and speaking and training uh, just really came together, became a part of the John Maxwell leadership team. And that opened up more doors and more opportunities to um, put together coaching, but also with some experience in being an entrepreneur, running a business, developing people and leading teams. Yeah. Having so, gone through the things that entrepreneurs are going through. Right. We're all different, but mm-hmm. then there's so many things that overlap no, no matter what business you're in. Because primarily business, we talk about business to business and things like that. But I really believe that business is is people to people. It's uh, people within an organization treating them well, 
so that they can treat the people that uh, are the customers well. Yeah, love that. So when did you get John Maxwell certified? Uh, 2019. Okay, so not too long yeah, ago. Pretty recent still. What made it, What made you want to go do that? Literally, uh, is one of those, I was out on, a, I'm a runner, out on a morning run listening to a podcast, and um, as I listened to John Maxwell, they were interviewing him, and, and uh, his story sounded so familiar to mine. I thought, man, that sounds, that sounds just like me. He was yeah. talking about, you know, years of working with churches, and then business leaders started asking him, hey, can you come help us learn these principles? And so it transitioned that way, and then in that podcast, he talked about uh, this leadership certified team members and becoming a part of that. So I thought, well, that that's good. And honestly, it was pretty selfish. I felt like um, half of my master's degree was in uh, leadership development, but I felt like personally I'd kind of maxed out. I thought, man, I've done everything I can and the things that were frustrating me instead of, and I went through the time of blaming, but I really do believe in, in responsibility. And so it came down to if I'm leading a team and I'm frustrated with the performance of the team, ultimately that means I've not done a good job of preparing and developing those team members so that they can do the things that they need to do. And I thought, I don't know what else to do. And so it it started as just learning to be a better leader, and then it just opened up more opportunities to share those things with business owners, presidents, CEOs, things like that. So that's really how how we got here. That's yeah, cool. So. Yeah, you've actually, I've coached with you, mm-hmm. and you coach with my brother and myself and all of his C-level uh, guys as well and doing a going through a book called scaling up mm-hmm. how to is that scaling up just something you kind of came up with or it really is um, a friend of mine who was a, is a president of a bank in Oklahoma uh, a couple of his vice presidents he wanted me to coach them and he said we use this this book and I was completely unfamiliar with it so I got the book so I could train I could learn about it so I right. could train them and uh, it was just uh I really felt like going into it, man, I know a lot about business. I've been in it. I mean, I started my own first business when I was 10 years old, and I've been engaged ever since. I mean, I've never not been doing business and run some pretty successful companies. And uh, this book was just, for me, mind-blowing. Uh, taught me some things I'd never thought. It, uh, one of the things they say pretty often in there is make things as simple as possible, but not simpler. And uh, so it's simplifying it, really looking at how to focus and how to build your team, have a good strategy, execute it well, and watch money the whole time. That's awesome. Um, and Phil, I know that you coach my agents, so if you have something that stands out to you, please make sure you interrupt me because I'll talk forever. Uh, Ray, mm-hmm. one of the things that I know about you is that uh, you're a passionate guy. You and I are a lot alike. Mm-hmm. We're very driven. We're very passionate. We're very uh, ADD. Um, but I think that works to our strengths. And But we both love really big Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me kind of like your personal mission statement, personal life statement. Like you, you've obviously have a, I think that a lot of times people that are Christians say, sometimes we talk about, man, that guy loves his business or loves his work or he loves money or he loves it. He's chasing these things. You've really kept a different line with that. And then also kind of what motivates you, what keeps you moving forward. And then, you know, uh, across all the board, because you don't just coach, you also drive your own businesses, you invest in real estate, Right. It's, um, it's been one of those things, uh, I think, that, that you clarify over time. So it's been something I've paid attention to, I think, really since the late 80s when I first came across Stephen Covey and the Seven Habits okay. of Highly Effective People. I think that was like a 1989 book. So it may have been early 90s and started working on, you know, mission and vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> as I look back on it, it stayed primarily the same. Today, I would say that it's been shaped a lot, uh, fine-tuned by John Maxwell. 
who he says, and it's it's been, a, I, I used more initially like to be a disciple of Jesus who's making disciples that will also make others. And he's helped me expand that, think about it a little differently because he says that it's to be a person of value that adds value to people who will multiply value to others. And so I think that's really the the focus that I have is to to find people who are influencers, people who make a difference, leaders who are believe people have been entrusted to them, literally even brought to them by God as a responsibility. And so to help them lead better and, and then to have that ripple effect where it goes out and affects literally hundreds and thousands of people because the people that I coach, the people that I work with in the businesses, uh, it's not just the people in the company. They've got families. They work with other people, and so it's that rippling effect. And so it's really to be um, focused on how can I do the most good for the most people is is my personal mission statement of just adding value. <clears throat> for me, it's been that that, that thing is to um, I believe that uh, in late the late nineties, uh, really going through a personal struggle. Uh, it was too too young to be a midlife crisis, but others would say it looked something like that. Yeah, quarter life crisis, <clears throat> whatever yeah. it was. But um, my life, my thinking about my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife and my kids, business, money, houses, possessions, all of it was really shaped by the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's really become a guiding light for me uh, to, to turn on to any situation, to think of, uh, through it, through the lens of Scripture and the way God's designed us to live. Uh, even the name of your podcast, I love it, Made in Excellence. For a long time, I've talked about made for more, mm. that he's made us for more, more than you know, more than just waking up, going to work, doing the same thing day in and day out. But there's there's a higher calling, there's a higher purpose to it. And so looking at life that way, looking at money that way, I mean, money's money's amoral. People talk about it and sometimes even misquote scripture saying that, you know, money's the root of all evil. What's the love of money? Having money in the wrong position. Uh, and that could be either having too much of it and thinking that, well, I control my life or not having enough and the lack of it controlling your life, what you do how you do things, but having money in the right position, having relationships with other people in the right relationship. I first pursue God, and then I know how to relate to those things. And so that's become a, a compass and a guiding light for me. And then, like I said, they're just, uh, I, I do believe you hear people say often, um, in fact, I'll do a deal tomorrow with Lubbock Christian University students who are about to graduate in business and talk about the worst advice you hear. And I think one of them is, you know, do something that you love and you never work a day in your life. Right. It sounds great. And you hear people say all the time, go after your heart, follow your passion. And yet, whatever it is, there's some days that are really hard. And there's some things about what you do that are challenging. But to overall look at it and go, this is a gift that I've got. I've got an opportunity here. There's something good here that it does something good. I've got a why for it. Um, and so that kind of passion for life has brought to me a lot of things that I love. And uh, giving me a lot of opportunities. Yeah, because you didn't necessarily have passion for concrete. You know, do no. what you love. You never work a day in your life. You're like concrete. Yeah, it's it's not <laughs> been the thing. Or uh, you know, I'm washing I, cars. I've got a car wash. It's not <laughs> like now car wash is actually my first paid job, not for yeah. myself, was washing cars at 13 years old. Okay. And so I look back and I go, man, that's been something that's just woven mm -hmm. into my life. Yeah. But it is at the same time, it's a way. I mean, I serve hundreds and hundreds of people every day. I've got a team of people that. Uh, their lives, I really believe their lives are different because they work at the car wash that, right. that I own part of. And we really, our goal is, and it's a hard thing to, to accomplish, 
But our goal is that when somebody drives through our car wash their day, not just because their car's better, but because they interacted with the people who are part of our team at, at mm-hmm. Splash Bros, that their day is literally better, that they somebody stopped for a moment and gave them a smile. Somebody said, you matter enough that I'm going to do a good job at cleaning your car. It's in and out fast. You don't have right. long, but we want you to have an experience mm-hmm. that makes a difference in your day. Yeah, I don't know if you listened to uh, Stephen and I talking about Avidah. And yes. whenever he talked about that saying, uh, Avada, worshiping, working, and service all in the same meaning. It's how you do your job. Right. And I never thought of that before. So tell me if somebody's listening to this in their car and they're in, uh, you know, on their way from Lubbock to Midland, Odessa, and this is all they can have service and they had to listen to you and me. <laughs> they're stuff. They're, they're in a tough spot. <laughs> That's a good day. Yeah. Uh, so tell me if they've never read the book of Ecclesiastes there, what, what would you say to sum that up for them? Um, as the, as the, what you're saying, as a guiding light for you in living your life, what would you kind of sum that up for them if they can't, they don't have access to it yet? Well, I think a great illustration of it is, I don't know if you if, if you had a gerbil. Or, I've never had a hamster you know, or a gerbil. A hamster huh? or gerbil. But if you see them, you can imagine, you've yep. surely seen it, that you put them in there and they've got the, the straw or whatever, and you don't want them just sit around. So they put the wheel in there and the gerbil gets in there and runs and runs and runs and doesn't go anywhere. Right. And it's a great, basically Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 are just that. Here's a guy who's saying, I want my life to have some meaning. It's got to have purpose. I want to I want to make a difference. I want people to remember me. I want to make an impact. And I know in all of us, there's some of that. And then for some of us, there's a lot more. It's like, yeah, that's me. I want to do that. And so he's trying to find something, and he'll try everything. He says, I, I, tried, I tried money, had more than anybody. Big house. It wasn't cars, a nice chariot, and lots of them. You know, the clothes, the parties, the food, the wine, the entertainment. He just goes through everything, and everything he tries, here's the difference between he and and Ray, everything he set his heart on, he achieved. But once he got it, he went, it doesn't have any meaning. It doesn't last. I enjoyed it for a second, and then I was disappointed again. Mm. It's that frustrating cycle. And then, finally, in it's Ecclesiastes 3, he says, that God has set eternity in the hearts of men in such a way they can't understand everything that God's done from beginning to end. He's done this so that men would seek him. It's the first thing he says, I'm going to pursue God. And I'll never, the the conclusion of it is I'll never grasp him. I'll never fully understand him. And yet it's the only thing in the whole, in the whole book that's not meaningless. It's not vain. It has purpose. It makes a difference. And then from when he makes that realization, then he's able to say, money is not my God. It's a tool. I'll use it, and I'll use it well. A relationship with a person, that person's not my God. I'll pursue God, and then I'll know how to. And so I would say, I know how to be a a good husband because I've got a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. I know how to view money. It's, it's, It's a tool. It can be used for good or it can be used for bad. But since I've got a relationship with God and I don't want my money to get in the way, I can be a good father. I can be a good grandfather. I know how to own a, own a business and operate it. All of those things through that, wait, I pursue God first. And when that's out of line, then I know for, it's, for me there's some clear things that it's like, wait a second, something's off here. It takes me a while to figure that out. But when I figure out, wait, something's off here because of my relationship here. Stay up late at night mm-hmm. worrying about money. Mm-hmm a problem in a relationship. And I go, wait, that's first here, my relationship with God. And then when I'm pursuing him, I can do these things differently. That's awesome. Yeah. It it literally is uh, life changing. I I know in our time together, I don't know how many times I said, well, that was Ecclesiastes. Yeah. That's, that's where I learned that. 
And so it's, it's something I come back to. I still, I mean, when I first learned it, I read that it's 12 chapters and I read it every single day. And now there's not a month goes by that I don't go back through it just because it's so uh, shaping that it's, it's shaped everything in my life. That's so cool. Um, one of the things that I know about you, and I'm going to, I'm going to stay on that page because I know that you're going to come back to it when I ask this question. Uh, you mentioned that you're a runner and I know that running has a lot of lessons, but you lost a hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. I want to talk, talk about that a little bit. Talk about your journey there. Cause I think it is a journey, uh, that you went on. It wasn't just a overnight thing. No, it was a long journey and it's, it's a great illustration. You know, Simon Sinek's, uh, become famous for the start with why. Uh-huh. And I love the thought, and I can see it play out in my own life. I'd gotten tired of weighing 275 pounds. Yeah. I'm like, this has got to change. So I just started a diet like every week and start off and I'd do a day good or two days good. And then it's like, well, you've done well, you deserve this, or you want that. It's just one. And so one snack, one piece of cake, one Coke, one Dr. Pepper, whatever, and then I'm off the wagon again. And I tell people I don't fall off a wagon, I jump and run. I yeah. Mean, you know, I don't do anything halfway. If I'm if I'm on a diet, I'm on the diet. And when I'm not, I'm, I'm making not. up for lost time. Yeah. And then finally, I'd, I'd lost about 20 pounds. And um, our youngest daughter was doing cross country. So she came in one morning early from uh, early and said, hey, you know, told us bye. She was going to practice. And it was the first time it hit me. I said, you know, she's 15 years old. I'm like, who you run with? Well, what I find out in that short conversation is she ran by herself. Everybody else was in afternoon practice. And I'm like, no, my daughter is not running around town four miles every morning before the sun comes up by herself. At age 17. Yeah, she's 15. 15. 15. Yeah. Yeah. And so I got up, put on the shorts, and I follow her. The next day I'm ready, and we're about a quarter mile in, and I say, you, you got to run with her. And then I look down, you know, I'm 255 pounds, and I go, that's probably not going to happen. So what I did is just started. And I'd go, to, if she had a... Circuit, I mean, a square course. I'd go to the first corner. I'd drop her off at the gym. I'd drive the first corner, run till I could see her, turn around, run back to the suburban. And I would just do it till I could see her. And finally, I did it till I could see, keep her in, in view, and just ran the whole thing. But that discipline, that discipline in running every day, also gave me the motivation. It's like, you know what? If you'll lose some weight, this will be a lot easier. This yeah. will be better. And so, a discipline in one area, and you can see this in everything in your life. If you discipline yourself well in one area, it affects everything because we approach life sometimes, we think about it. And a lot of people, you can look it up on Google, a lot of people talk about the pie of life. And here's here's my faith part of my life, and here's my family, and here's my career, this is my finances. And, and if it's that way, the only things that affect it are the ones right beside it. And then just right at the point, they have a little difference, a little impact. But if you got, I mean, we got one life. And what I do physically affects me emotionally and mentally and, and, and so if I do that, if I approach it that way, if I discipline myself in one area, then I've got the strength inside that says, if I can discipline this, I can discipline that. If I can get up and go run every morning at 545, when I win that battle, it makes it easier for breakfast later to say, you know what, if you eat like trash right now, you're going to feel terrible in the morning. And so the discipline in one area feeds out and gives us strength in everything else. It's why I think it's one of the most important things we can do is to get a win every day early. Yep, 100%. Overcome something early, and then you've set yourself up to keep on winning all day long. Man, I feel like I have regurgitated what you just said to 
people a million times and I probably took it from you, but I love the wheel of life. I think it's something we look at and we look at a lot because it's like people say business isn't personal. It's absolutely personal. It's, it's my only life. It's the only thing I'm doing. It's, it's my, you know, livelihood. It's all of yeah. that. And so it's an I, expression of who you are. Mm-hmm. And but if I, it's not, you're always out of, out of sync there. And I love that you said the points that are together, they touch. And that's really how our life is, you know, how it's all interacted there. And I've never thought about the points. I always look at the width and how much is, mm-hmm. you know, the percentages basically, but I like the points analogy. Yeah. And actually I would even say, take it further than that. Instead of looking at pizza slices or a slice of the pie, look at it as circles and those circles are overlapping because mm-hmm. every part of it actually is, you don't have these, these segmented parts that it's all one. And so it's, it's overlap and you can see it in genius. You know, people talk about, well, what do you love to do and what are you really good at and what brings you reward and where those three things overlap, that's your genius. That's mm-hmm. the spot that you're really good at. Yeah. Well, the same thing's true where the, all those things lap up in your life where they overlap, that gives you strength in all of them. When you get stronger in one, then it grows strength in the others. And even when you're weak there, you can rely on the strength from some other spot. That's it. I love that. And, you know, actually, I had the thought the other day, and Phil, it was your mission statement that I thought about. Uh, awesome people, awesome places, is doing awesome things is Phil's mission statement. And I think when we hang out with certain people, their mission becomes part of our mission that I enjoy doing things that he's, in, you know, so it's kind of like it yeah. kind of works that with overlapping our lives to live in, like, are we living in our genius or overlapping our lives to where that person that I'm interacting with is, is that part of that genius? And I think I'd say all that to kick back to your daughter was the whole reason why you started running and it was about her safety. Yeah. And what father, which I'm not a father, but how many fathers listening to this would go, I would totally start running too if she was running by herself at 15 years old. Yeah. And then you go to the other side of it with some other health habits, whether it's running or not. Uh, my wife's going through some health challenges right now. And one of our good friends, as we were talking about some of the lifestyle changes that needed to take place, and she was being honest, like, that's going to be hard for me. And he said, here's what I do. It's hard for me, too. And so I asked myself, would I rather have that, eat that, do that, or see my grandkids grow up? Mm-hmm. And we've got an almost two-year-old grandson. And that, I mean, that did her like that. And she's like, no way. I, if, if I'm making that choice, and how many of the choices we get right down in this very moment, and if we just step back and look at it, we go, well, I wouldn't trade this for that. That's worth much more to me. That's mm-hmm. much more important. And so having that perspective changes the way we behave in the immediate. Yeah, it's like an instant gratification decision versus the long-term benefits there. And um, yeah, I think that's a hardcore approach, but it's just the honest, truthful approach. Like the reality is with your wife's situation, it's if you eat these things, this will happen to you. Or if you don't, you'll get to re- reap all of these things. Yeah. See, Because you went, f- and you're also, you went, you went vegan for a little while. Right. And yeah. Ray, you guys listen, Ray is just as West Texas as, as anybody. And it's maybe more so I'm hardcore carnivore. I'm a steak and barbecue. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's through and so through. So I know how hard, hard that was for you, but just like with your daughter running, this was your wife and you're like, all right, honey, I'm in with whatever they say we need to do. We're doing it together. Right. Yeah. And I, th- I think the support matters. Even the point you were talking about, about awesome people in awesome places, you know, it's said over and over and over. And some cliches are cliches because they're true. And I think this is one of them. You'll be exactly the same person you are today in five years, except for the five people you spend the most time with and the five books you read. That's right. And so when you're in that circle and you're feeding yourself good stuff, it changes who you are. It changes what you do. And so if they raise our level, if they're excelling, 
If they're pushing hard, then it pulls us up there. And then we have that responsibility too. Synergy only takes place when everybody's giving their best. Ooh, I like that. And so if somebody's holding back, you lose the synergistic effect. And there's examples of it where the, it, you know, the synergy is that the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. But the negative is that everybody actually performs lower than if somebody's not giving their best. It's the weak leak of the chain. You can talk about it a lot of different ways. But when we, when we link up, when we make a decision, we're going to work together, then it takes that commitment of we're all going to give our best. We're not going to hold back. We're not going to give excuses, and we're not going to accept them. I love that. What did I say yesterday, Phil? It's the thing I do. I said, how we do one thing is how we do all things. Yeah, that's and Nick I, Saban. And, yeah. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. so I don't know where I got that from. I also say another one, which part of my language, I say we're full-assed around here, no half-assing. Uh, but I think it's exactly the case you're putting. And I think you can even go one, one or two steps deeper with that and kind of look internally. And my thing is we're in the house business, right? Mm -hmm. How many houses have we gone into that have been flipped? And you, somebody has to step back from a job and go, man, I did a good job. In yeah. a lot of house time, a lot of times people do a job with a home or whatever. And it's like, who did what? Yeah. You don't sign your name to that. Right. And that's um, it. You're signing yeah. your name to this. Yeah. It and makes a difference. And you're signing to name. What you're saying though, is you're signing a name to um, how we're supporting, how we're showing up, how we're, you know, um, protecting with your daughter situation, how you're showing up and looking with your, you know, the weight loss journey. Yeah. It yeah. all, yeah. Everything, everything we do, we're signing our name to. Mm. And so it's just a matter of what's my, my standard for myself. Mm. If my personal standards here, then I don't accept my own excuses. And it's one of the hardest things to do is to hold ourselves accountable. You know, the, the most challenging person for me to lead, I, I teach leadership development, mm -hmm. and I, but the most challenging person for me to lead is the guy I look at in the mirror. Yeah. Because, you know, we talk about time management, you do all kinds of stuff, but it's a misnomer. The person you got to manage is yourself. And if you manage yourself, you manage your time, you manage your finances, you manage your relationships well. And if you don't, then you give excuses and you have a disappointing result. Man, I love that. Gosh. Okay, so... Um there's so many things. I wrote down a bunch of notes. I normally don't write down this many notes here, but I was just going on here. So I have to ask you, um, what's the best advice you've ever received? You cannot imagine the amount of advice, but this one's still the one, and it's been the one for quite a while. It sounds preacher and cliche and all that stuff, but Jesus was exactly right when he said, treat people the way you want to be treated. Mm. You know, how many situations if you just stop and go, man, I'm not sure what I want to do. Should I say this? Should I do that? Should I treat them this way? And if you just run it through that filter, you go. So you go back to the somebody's somebody's doing a job on a house. They're flipping it. They're they're you know, they're putting lipstick on the pig. They want to make it look pretty. And you can do it halfway or you can do it right. Mm -hmm. But if you're on the other side, if you're the customer, how do you want to be treated? Right. Or if you're the customer, how are you going to treat people? If you were the person doing the work, do you want somebody going, that's wrong and that's wrong and you didn't do this and mm -hmm. I'm going to make you wait later and I'm not going to pay you on time. And I'm going to, If you just got on the other side, and that's, that's the way I usually say it. I do some training for salespeople and I say, just get on the other side of the table. If you're on that side, how do you want to be treated? That's great you advice. Know, you get over here and whether it's car sales or it's house, uh, my uncle's the one who taught me that. He's like, Ray, you go buy hundreds of thousands of dollars of cars every week. And it's nothing to you. You walk up to a line and you're just, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and you buy. The people sitting on the other side, they buy a car every three, four, five years. It's not a big deal to you, and it's a massive deal to them. So if you get on the other side, then you go, yeah, that, ah, let me think about that. That reminds me of the best marriage advice I ever got um, that I give anytime somebody asks me to give a speech. 
it's just the speech I have ready. And you made me, you saying that and how people want to be treated made me think about my marriage because how often do we speak too quickly, mm. you know, act too fast. And the best of marriage advice I got was, um, every single thing we do, we either do it with the action of love and gratitude or we do it with the absence of love and gratitude yeah. and they can't exist in the same place. You can't have it and not have it at the same time. It's like you either do or you don't. Yeah. And are you treating that person how they want to be treated or are you just kind of, you know, and I, I say that because it's so good to like, that's the best advice I need to always constantly hear because mm-hmm. I don't mean for things. I don't have bad intentions, but the way I treat people sometimes is just because I'm so fast and it's just treating people how they want to be treated yeah. is such and, a, and you use the word, I don't have bad intentions. The problem is I don't have intentions. Mm, that's if good. you stop and think for that long, you're talking to Haley. Wait, how do I want to talk to this person? Right. This is, she's part of me. Mm-hmm. We belong to each other and I love her and I value her and I treasure her. How do I want to talk to her? How do I want to treat her? Mm-hmm. And if I have no intention, you know what we do? Me. You know what we do, Ray, is we put the people that we care the most about on the back burner because they're supposed to forgive us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not fair. They, they have to love me, have to accept me. Mm-hmm. It's just the way I am. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay, so my next question for you is one that I ask every single person. I'm sure you've heard it by now. Is you're driving down the road, there's a bajillion billboards, you're going to pass them, and you get to get your message out there to everybody. Or you're standing on a stage, and there's a million people standing in front of you, and they get to hear Ray Young for 30 seconds say this. What do you want people to know? It's the thing I told my girls over and over and over. Uh, If you walked up to them and said, who are you? They would say, I'm a WCOG. And it stands for, it's from Psalm 139, that I'm a wonderful creation of God. And that's literally where my made for more came from, is that you were created by God for more, more than just getting by. And so you're capable of, of more than you believe. And it's one. this is the thing I told them over and over with that WCOG is this. If you believed in you half as much as I believe in you, you'd believe in you twice as much as you do. There's just something I keep it to the background of my phone. <clears throat> so that every time I open it, nobody else can see it because of all the apps, but I can see it. And what it says is, what are you capable of? And the answer is, you don't have any idea. If I asked you that question, whatever you said, and you're a person with vision and dreams and drive, mm-hmm. but whatever you said, it, this is it. It's much more than that. Yeah, You're not even touching the beginning mm-hmm. of it. It's the tip of the iceberg. But the problem is we're, we're conditioned to play small. You had a big dream, a big goal, and somebody said, nah, that, that you're not the person, that's not the time, it's not going to work out. And, and so we learn even from our own failures to, no, I'm going to play it safe. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to risk it. What if I lose? And so we pull back and we learn to live life that way. Very safe, very comfort, you know, just in my comfort zone. And we get in that rut. Whereas if we put it out there, if we pushed ourselves, if we said, you know, even if I fail at this, I'm not a failure and I could do something great. I'll learn. I'll, I'll do it better next time. And so it's pushing through there. And it is that constant struggle between faith and fear. Yeah. And how many times are you coaching people and they don't see what they're capable of? Never. Nobody can. Yeah. I, I don't believe anybody can see. I, I, I use the illustration a lot. If you put a big vision out there 
You don't even have to know all of it. What you've got to do is start. And then as you start progressing towards it, it becomes clear. You know, this is what it requires, and these are the steps I've got to take. But the rest of it is the further you get there, you can see something bigger out there. Mm -hmm. And as you've grown here and you become more capable and you've got better drive and better clarity, and then you've developed the team, you know, man, I'm really not good at this part, so I need somebody else doing this. As you surround yourself with the right people and you become more capable, there's something even bigger out there. And I don't believe we ever get there. It's one of the things John Maxwell says is not how long will it take looking for some growth, looking to achieve something, but how far can I go? And, and the difference is dramatic. This is, I've just got to put in the time. I've just got to keep yeah. going. And if I get there, then, man, everything's going to be perfect. And it's never, it's never there. You never get perfect. You never get ideal. Wherever you get, you go, there's something more. There's something bigger. I could do better. And so you keep growing. It's one of the things I love about running keeps me going, and that is whatever I've done, you know, I'm older than I've ever been. Does that mean I'm worse? I should be better. I should have learned some things. I should have learned some stuff about myself so that I can run even better and stronger and further and faster. It's funny that you brought running back up again because as you were talking about that, I, I was thinking about Goggins, David Goggins, and the Navy SEALs say that we, and you correct me on the stat, but they say we use only we're we're capable of ten times more than our brain even when our brain tells us to stop. Yeah, I'm not sure about the what was in my head was when you when you when you say I can't do any more that you've only used forty percent of your that's capacity. What it, whatever what it's it maybe yeah. whatever it is, the point is still the same that we're capable. I think it's John Gordon I first heard say this that you got to quit uh, listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Yes, because it's always that. I can't, I'm tired, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I don't have enough resources, I don't, I don't, I don't. And it's, you know, if you could get anything, this is the one that I keep telling my kids now. Um, instead of saying I can't, ask how can I? And then don't just ask the question. I just, uh, the last coaching I had today, I said, he was talking about a problem, I said, just put it at the top of the page and every morning spend 10 minutes asking that question and answering. It doesn't matter. Don't filter it. Don't go, that's not going to work. Just put everything you can think of, of how you could do that, how you could overcome that, how you could answer that, how you could achieve that. And just do it 10 minutes every day. And you'll be amazed at what you find out because we switch our brains off with, I can't. And we turn our brains and our, especially our subconscious on with, how can I? We start finding, we kick into problem solving. And there's always a way. Uh, I can't, somebody got famous on saying it's all figure outable. Mm -hmm. You can figure it out. Yeah. So I love that approach to life. So, man, love that. And so while you were saying that, some thoughts went through my mind. I don't know if you saw what I posted this morning about courage and uh, vulnerability. And so the thought I have, though, is that, um, you know, the quote was, it's either success or courage, but it's going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. Okay, yeah, I did see it. And you and I both carry enthusiasm very close, near and dear to us because that's how we energize our teams. That's how we go get more business. It's just... People want to work with people that are optimistic, positive, and enthusiastic. It just mm -hmm. is what it is. And so my thought is, though, um, I think that love takes courage because of its vulnerability and faith. Mm -hmm. And this is what I had written down was courage is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Love takes courage because of its vulnerability and faith. I've come to feel and realize that business and love go hand in hand. When I'm loving my people, my business succeeds. Mm -hmm. And I so as you are talking about that, tell me, tell me your thoughts on... I just think courage, success, kind of vulnerability, and then also like we're playing small. And I think there's a level of vulnerability that has to happen in order to kind of like, I'm going to try, I'm going to risk it all just to see, to see what I'm really capable of, what could really happen. Okay. 
you're, you're touching on one of my favorites. And it's one of those things that the longer you think about it, the more you grow. And that's one of the things I love about growth is that it keeps on going. <clears throat> Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I've primarily thought about that as the struggle between faith and fear, mm. which it is, but he doesn't say he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but one of faith. What he says is it's not fear, it's power and love and self-discipline. It's faith, confidence, first in who he is, but also in who we are that gives us power. And if you just stop and think about the power that we have, a lot of people I encounter really think they're weak. I can't do it. I don't have it. It's, it's, it's too late. You know, I'm in my 50s. How can I do something like that? It's too much risk. But the power is there. And so it's like faith is saying, no, no, no. And the spirit of power says, I'm stronger than I believe I am. I'm stronger than I've been. I know I can do more. I know I can do better. Better. It's power and love. That it is, fear says, better be careful. Don't give yourself completely. Don't put somebody else first. If you don't take care of yourself, nobody's going to. And this spirit says, no, I've got, I've got enough faith in you and in me that I'll love you, even if you don't love me back. Even when you don't deserve it, I'll still love you. For me, the biggest challenge there is the self-discipline. To say, fear says, go ahead, indulge. It's okay. It doesn't matter. And self-discipline says, no, I'm going to say no here. I'm going to be true to who I am right now. <clears throat> and with that, there's a process that I do for dealing with fear. Because fear is always out there. And the more we focus on it, the bigger it gets. And so I play the ultimate what if, because we play what if. Well, what if this happens? And what if that? Right. And what if this? And, and then what if that happens? And it's all projection into the future. It, it's a faith as well. It's saying, okay, I'm going to say the, the worst things are going to happen. And when that bad thing happens, then this bad thing's going to happen. And we don't know it. What if we step back and said, hey, here's the what if. Let me go through all the negatives and push it to the very furthest extreme. Like the last business I invested in is like, this baby goes out, I'm out. Everything I've worked all my life for, every, every asset I've built up, I'm wiped out. Okay, if that happens, then what? And I played it to the very, everything bad happens. I lose everything. Can you survive that? Yeah. Would you hate it? <laughs> Beyond a doubt, but I could survive it. And then... The question is, do you really think that you've learned anything along the way? Do you really think that you're more capable now than you were when you were 20, you were 30, you were 40, you were 50, 51, 2, 3? Do you think you're more capable today than you are? You were yesterday? Yeah, I do. I'd hate to try to build it all back, and that wouldn't be the goal. But to say I'm down and out and I give up? I'm not going to do that. So I could survive that, and I could build back, and I could build back faster. And my belief is that I could even build back better. I mean, it sounds like a, I, my name's Ray and I'm running for president. It sounds like a great <laughs> slogan, right? Build right. back better. Yeah. <clears throat> We're not going to talk about how that works out, but, but it's to go, wait a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the power, the fear out of fear and go, okay, take a worst case scenario. Now, what are you going to do? And that's the way I love to approach life. Where are you? Even, even not even thinking about all the things and whose fault it was, all the things that got, got me here. I want to know where am I and where am I going to go and how do I get there? 
and then let's take action, let's execute. And when you do that, then you've got something that's valuable. Yeah. And I, th- I always look at it as, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? Can I handle it? Let's move forward. Let's yeah. go forward. Keep going forward. But I love that. I never thought about power and discipline and fear and all that kind of look at that. Yeah, they're and, always fighting each other. Yeah. And that makes sense with power, though. I've never thought about that, though. Power and fear kind of fighting. Yeah. That's awesome. awesome. Man, I feel uh, I feel like you have a lot of thoughts that I've had in my head that you're able to articulate them so well. So I love that we had you on here. Well, it's, it's been great. A lot Man. of fun. Okay, leave us with one last thing. What do you want people to know? I've only got one thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the most important thing I would want someone to, to, to hold on to is um, that when you get your priorities right in life, things become really clear. Mm-hmm. That we, we struggle. Some people say, uh, you know, you said ADD. I, I have to tell you, that's not politically correct anymore. <laughs> the correct term is ADHD. Yeah. But I think most people struggle from what I would call IDD. It's intention deficit disorder. We're not intentional enough. We don't know where we're going. Yeah, I love that. You Phil, know, you're going to use that one, aren't you? If, if you? if you go to a basketball game, I mean, this is my favorite time of year, March Madness, right. and we've had some serious ma- madness going on. I mean, it's exciting <laughs> basketball. Yeah. But if they got out there, they throw the ball up for the initial tip, and they get the ball, and there's not a goal on either end of the court, how long do they play the game? Yeah. They're like, what are we doing? And they're not going to just dribble around and pass. I mean, if you know anything about basketball now, somebody's there to shoot. And the challenge is, hey, you're shooting all the time. Give me a shot. But if there's not a basket, nobody plays the game. But we live our lives that way. We don't, we don't know what our intention is. We don't know what our goal is. And so we just kind of wander through life. And we bounce off of this and bounce off of that. We don't know where we're going. We don't know a step to get there. We don't have any intention. We don't have a goal. We don't have a plan. We don't have a purpose. We don't have a vision. We don't have a mission. Our lives are much more valuable than that. I said this on a, <clears throat> one of my, I think on Instagram a few weeks ago. If, this, if in the morning I wrote you a check for a million dollars, how hard would it be to run your day? Really hard. Really hard. Yeah. You're like, that stinks. That was rough. I wish that wouldn't happen, but I got a mill. Right. If I wrote you a check for $10 million at 8 o'clock this morning, it's yours, it's good, cash it, live it up. But the deal was this, Jacoby, you don't get to wake up tomorrow. Do you take the check? No. No way. Why not? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You're saying that today is worth more than $10 million to you. Yeah. That you wouldn't trade today for $10 million. Exactly. But did you live that way? No. If you say this day is worth $10 million, an inconceivable amount of money then it should change the way you live today. You should say, what a gift. And the people in your life, would you take $10 million? Sorry, babe, I'm getting $10 million so you don't get to wake up in the morning. You don't trade Haley for that. Right. You say, no, she's worth more than that to yeah, me. No matter so treat her, treat her today like she's worth $10 million. Right. The right. people in your life, the team, the team that God's brought to you, treat them that way. The opportunities that gives, you go, Man, I don't, I don't get this chance again. I don't get today again. And today's worth more than $10 million to me, so I ought to treat it that way. And so if you can walk away with anything, accept the gift and treat it like it's worth that because you said it's worth more than $10 million. Man, that's awesome. Okay, so uh, to the people listening, if you, have, uh, if you want to get a hold of Ray, 
contact me. I'll get you in touch with him. Um, Ray would love it if you wanted him to speak to your organization or if you wanted one-on-one coaching or if you wanted to coach high-level executives or um, if you have a business deal that you think you need some investors for, Ray would love to look at that. He looks at every single deal I send him, whether he likes it or not. That's right. Um, man, love talking to you and thank you for today. This was absolutely incredible. Thanks, man. I appreciate being here. Thanks. Thanks.